Hey Sun and hello. Welcome to Nordic Insights, where we introduce you to high-achieving Nordics and Nordic-inspired people with niche expertise in business, lifestyle, education, innovation and more. I'm your host Satu Raunola, a Finn passionate about all things Nordic yoga, running, sustainability, well-being and great coffee. Join me to explore Nordic common sense and trends in this complex world. Sit tight and close your eyes to listen to this. Wasn't that just marvelous? That is my guest, amazing Satu Vanska, a friend and a fellow Finn, and the principal violin of the Australian Chamber Orchestra. She was playing Baganini's virtuosic Caprice for violin number five, taken out of an amusing ACO music video, Music in ISO 1, which you can watch on YouTube. She was playing with Belgiorno Stradivarius, one of the two known Stradivari violins in Australia. Sato's journey to success has been fascinating. She was born in Japan to a Finnish family where she started playing violin at the age of three. She continued her studies in Finland where she moved with her family at the age of 10. Her talent was recognized early on and she was named Young Soloist of the Year by Sinfonia Lahti in 1998 And a few years later, she was a prize winner of the Deutsche Stiftung Musikleben. She was studying and playing violin in Germany for eight years with world-leading musicians before she moved to Australia to join ACO in 2004. Sato has many roles as she regularly performs as lead violin and soloist with the ACO. She's also the curator, frontwoman, violinist and vocalist of ACO Underground, the ACO's experimental spin-off band. Sato is married to Richard Tonietti, the artistic director and the lead violin of ACO, and they live in Manly, which is a beach suburb in Sydney. Join me to hear more details of Sato's journey to success. I am extremely excited to welcome another Sato to Nordic Insights, Sato Venska. And great to have you here, Satu, as my guest. It's great to join you, Satu. It's not that often that I get to speak other Satu Satus in Australia. Or <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Now we known each other for quite quite long time. We have. I think you know almost when you arrived, I arrived a bit earlier than you did, and. Now you arrived to Australia 2004, but let's start all the way in the beginnings. And how about telling your story to our uh, our audience? I'm sure many of them know quite a lot about you, but you actually, even though you very Finnish, you were born in Japan. Yes, so I was born in Japan um, to my Finnish parents. Uh, I was the fourth child of a of a missionary family. We were living in a rural Japan. 
where my parents were Lutheran missionaries, um, which is uh, obviously quite an, sort of an unusual profession. But And I spent my whole childhood there. I started to play the violin there also when I was three years old. Then I moved to my family. We moved to Finland when I was 10 in 1989. And um, so my whole childhood was spent in Japan. And I grew up, uh, I suppose, bilingually. I went to Finnish school, though. There was at that time when I was living in Japan, they had a Finnish school in, you know, another rural area where there were about 40 children. And that school was part of the Finnish general uh, education system. So it was supported by the, by the main um, education system in, from Finland. And as we got older, though, um, my oldest brother at the time when we moved to Finland was going through his, I suppose it's the equivalent of HSC, in Australia, and you couldn't do that in that school, so we had to move back to Finland. And um, and in a way, I'm very fortunate that we moved back to Finland because ten is a good um, age to move away from somewhere that you've been very um, that is a home for you. Um, but then, on the other hand, when I moved, when we moved to Finland, I knew very little about Finland because I'd only visited Finland twice. Uh, as a child for very brief periods, once when I was a five-year-old and once when I was seven. And, and uh, yes, going to Finland from Japan was quite a culture shock, but <laughs> because of just the, you know, everything is, basically everything is completely different in the two countries, but, and especially the long winter and the dark winter yeah. uh, was was quite a, quite a culture shock. But um, for my violin studies, of course, it was a great blessing because in Finland, the whole system of music education and education in general uh, was supporting young people like myself coming from missionary families that are hardly the sort of um, on the salaries of investment bankers, uh, had the opportunity to, to have a very thorough and a high quality music education, which I'm uh, forever very, very thankful for. And um, so I spent my teenage years in Finland, but having always felt a little bit foreigner in Finland, I suppose, <laughs> if you weren't born into that cold winter and that, that very dark, cold uh, things, I was always looking forward to perhaps somehow, I, I had a, a wanderlust somehow that I always wanted to travel and go to different places. And um, and when I turned 18, I moved to Germany, and that was in, in studies of violin studies. I moved to Munich, and that was quite a young age, I suppose, to move to, but it felt very natural to me because when you are studying music on a, on sort of a high level, it's quite common that we go elsewhere. But so I, I suppose then... I became a person of a third place, having then learned German in Germany and, and, and living there, the sort of central European life. And I lived there for about seven years. And um, then I got a call to go to Australia when I got my job here with the Australian Chamber Orchestra. And that was in 2004. I, and I've never looked back. And, and in fact, I've lived in Manly more, longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life, um, I really, 
I don't know, very similarly like you, Satu, you're also, you know, you're sort of a half Aussie really, you know, in, in, in many ways, even though you are keeping your Finnish blood and you have your Finnish roots, but there's a, a lot of things that are yes. um, your everyday lives uh, are very much here. And, uh, yeah, certainly at the moment I would find it very, very strange if I, if somebody said that I have to move back to Finland, it would feel very foreign to me. Mm. Now, your time, if we go back, your time in Japan must have left you a very strong impression of to your, to your character because also if you compare to Japanese culture and Finnish culture, mm. uh, I mean, your your culture in I'm sure at home was some part, some way of Finnish also, but your everyday life in in Japan. So what 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 do you think? What things kind of stayed in your character from from Japan? I think there is, is yeah, that's a really good question. I suppose these things come out more when I'm in Japan. Yeah, because you know it's it's how how you behave in the environment that you're used to. So when you're in Finland, you're a Finn. When you're in Australia, you're more of a, you know, this mongrel of a mixed Aussie, mixed sort of person. And in Japan, my husband always laughs that I become a 10-year-old Japanese girl in Japan <laughs> because um, there's just some of those cultural things of politeness and, and you know, and the, the sort of the inability to say no, for example, on things like you don't say. And and you sort of start to navigate yeah. um everything within that culture and that definitely is something that has has stayed with me and comes out especially when I'm in Japan but having said that I think what has come out from what I've kept from being in Japan spending a childhood in Japan is the uh, sort of um, understanding of um, very different sort of mindset into life a much more it's a much more sort of communal po- polite you're thinking of other people you you're thinking of the whole uh, and the sort of the the society as a bigger thing than than just your own you know well-being as in that you you know for example the queuing up on things and people are very clean and polite and and those kinds of things i i I do miss from Japan from time to time when I'm in the in the Western cultures, you know, where we we come so barbaric, you know. Mm. I spend quite a lot of time also in some states in Japan, and I I totally agree with you that I think that that you are a part of community and you have a very, you know, you operate as a as a member of community, and it's more less individualism as as a part of a part of group and all these things like. You know everything's clean and uh, exactly like you. You always kind of been somehow looked after, but you you have this responsibility of look after your community and be part of community. I, it's it's very impressive. Yeah, it's hard to explain if you yeah. haven't been there, but yeah. But it's been it's been drilled into children from very young age there because even from a kindergarten or so, children are taught to, for example, you have to clean up. So the kids clean up the bathrooms, kids clean up, you know, so you learn to do the chores. Yes. And and uh, and we had, you know, all these the little things of how how you, the adults are not there to serve the children. The children actually have to 
have to learn to, you know, clean up their own mess. They have to take care in, you know, for example, handing out food and and you, you're all doing it together. Mm, yes, which is so nice, which is uh, unfortunately lacking in, in many societies in <laughs> today. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Now, so you started violin already when you were three and then you you have, of course, came really successful very soon, almost in your your early ages. You you got a lot of awards, and you were uh, studying with uh, world famous uh, violinists um, in Lahti and in Munich. Now, was that right straight away like your your thing to do, or did you ever consider doing something else than than being a violinist? Um, I think it was from a very from the very beginning, I think I uh, I always just wanted to be a violinist. I think I, in a way, I'm lucky, but also quite limited in that sense that I never gave a thought for really much much else to do. Um, but I I did yes from very beginning. I, I wanted to be a violinist, even though I mean, having said that, it's it's not a rosy way into doing that but but having said that I would have not been able to be a violinist for example if we had stayed in Japan for much longer so in a way the age that we moved back to Finland was a very crucial time that also showed that that I could become a violinist um, to have that education access to that um, first class education but yeah, I suppose it was a calling because my parents were both mus- musical. They were not professional musicians, but but um, they both played instruments, and my both grandfathers had played the violin before. So there was this thing that I I did. It, it was somehow in my family, you know, seen as something that it's an aspirational thing. My parents didn't have much that they could give us children, but. But for all of us, they gave the opportunity to learn an instrument. And it's a great gift that the parents can give to their children mm. because you learn the ultimate slow gratification uh, and and it's good for the child's brain. It's good for your concentration and it's fun. And you get access to something that's much bigger than yourself, as in you get the gift of music, you know, you get access to this language. Mm. And learning it from an early age is um, is really a, is a great gift that you'll never regret. Yeah, but it it must be in your genes because I mean your sister is uh, also a violinist, and yes. your uncle is a very famous conductors in the world, and so there's a lot of musical artistic talent in your family. Yes, there probably is somewhat, but don't you think that in Finland in general, you know, it's very much. Um, it's very much encouraged in the society too. Like people seeing their choirs are very active. Yeah. You have, you know, children go to their music classes. It's not some sort of a la-di-da fancy thing to do, that to, to go to the conservatorium. It's a sort of normal kids go. And, yes. and so the, the, the number of uh, musicians that come out of Finland is no because Finnish people are more musical. It's because they have much more access to music education mm. Mm. most most other countries yeah which is quite amazing mm. quite amazing thing now also your your time in europe must have been very uh, amazing you know you were studying in munich and uh, with violinists and so what what was that time uh, like for you 
Well, it was, I mean, it's tough times, really. If you, you know, you're a student, you can't speak the language, you have to learn suddenly another, you know, a third language. Uh, and I always just learned things at, at, in a go. I, I hardly studied any German at school in Finland. And and it, it was very tough because the it, very rewarding, but very demanding. You have to put a lot of hours into practice. You have a Uh, it's competitive, uh, but of course I loved it, but it was very international too. Um, there were kids or young people my age uh, who'd been a lot of people from Eastern Europe, a lot of people from the ex-Yugoslavia, and it was just after the war had finished in Croatia and um, the Serbian war. And and you really saw a lot of hardship, you know, on these on these young people who'd come from very difficult circumstances and yet they were so talented and so resilient and tough and hard working and i somehow it did leave a leave a you know sort of an impression on me of the you know the the big world of the central europe it's 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 a uh, it toughens you up at the same time as much as it it, it gives you a lot of insight into the the international scene of the central Europe but yes my teacher was very very demanding very kind and very caring but a demanding teacher and yeah I'd practice six hours a day eight hours a day and earn money at the same time doing gigs and try to you know so to pay your rent and you, you know try to put in the we put in the big hours of work as a violinist we're a bit like um you know, Olympic uh, sport, sports people, I suppose, in that sense that, you know, we start to put in the big hours in a quite an early age. And by the time you are 18 or 19, you're already a professional. And then you put the extra, extra hours in to, you know, to somehow finesse your thing, <laughs> your skills in order for you to be able to survive as a professional, you know, later in life. Mm, but you was very obviously your hard work paid off because you uh, were very very successful. You were the young soloist of the year by Sinfonia Lahti in 1998, and a few years later, the prize winner of Deutsche Stiftung Musikleben. And then you played with uh, like Yehudi Menuhin and and many other yeah. extremely successful musicians. What made you to come to Australia? Curiosity. And also, when I was in Munich, you know, the classical music scene and all the orchestras in the big European cities, they are, back then at least especially, they were quite, they're quite conservative. You know, you're dealing with, you know, a bunch of old guys in tales and <laughs> as lovely as some of them are. But the, it feels a little bit stagnated life as a musician. You don't feel necessarily like you're part of the 21st century. And I was a 24-year-old curious musician who was into all kinds of genres and into wanting to experiment in life and, and to, to be part of a group that would be sort of pushing the boundaries. And that's what the Australian Jam Orchestra has had a reputation in Europe already back then, um, a very highly regarded orchestra. And I always thought that, oh, I'd love to be part of a group like this because what what it did and what it still does is um, 
is you know interesting programming it, it's a it's it's a very varied and and wide repertoire that we're playing so we play anything from early baroque to to electronic music of today and that is what and also to be part of a small group small and dynamic group with like-minded musicians um that's what in, interested me rather than being part of you know this sort of um Rolls Royce of a <laughs> of a sort of a what's what what's the word a, a slightly sort of institutionalized uh, system that you cannot where you have to go in a certain way in in the way that it, they've been doing it for hundred years and that's that's how you have to keep it going and and that didn't interest me so much so so I'm very happy to have come here. And also to be able to be really at the, you know, at the highest level. And that's, that's what the ACO does. It's a truly international group. There's another Finn in the orchestra also who joined a couple of years after myself. Um, our principal cellist is also a Finnish person, which shows again that how many musicians there are in Finland. Yes. And so going back to this thing that you felt first, you know, coming from Japan to Finland and you did, you say that you didn't feel like a Finnish, you didn't really feel like you fit it in, and then you, this kind of similar things, you it was a challenging for you to be in Europe. So how do you make, what, what, what how do you make it work? What, what are the challenges for you and how do you solve them to kind of fit in the, you know, the world, that these this new worlds? Well, it's, well, I think what I, what I learned in a very early age and I, I realized that having a home that you miss like a one place that you miss very much is quite restrictive you know because it's much nicer to be able to feel at home in many places which I, I managed to feel very quickly um, after about three years in Finland it takes about I'd say that it takes about three years to get used to a new place mm. I, I wonder what your you know experiences with that mm, yeah i agree it's it's about three years yeah. yeah and then and then you sort of are home there and then you build your life there and and of course when you are young young youth is on your side you know it's much easier to sort of change your routines and learn languages and all those things but but i i did you know resilience sisu that's what you need in life you know in order to <laughs> yeah. in order to get through those um those sort of uh challenges cultural differences but also curiosity is very important i i've always tried to keep a curious mind rather than complain about a new place learn about the new place and and learn their culture learn the language learn the things that make this place you know special yeah And that's what enriches your life, really, at the mm. end of the day. Yeah, yeah, but totally agree. I have to say that when I came to Australia, I uh, it took about three years, and the, I have to say this: the second year, especially, was mm. challenging for me. And I, I had a business mentor, and I was complaining all the time about I was comparing Australia yeah. to Europe. Yes, and I said, well, the, you know, in Europe we have this, and you know, and this, and Australia don't have it. And you know, yeah. he listened to me for a while, and he said, make Australia work for you or go home. Yeah, and it was a bit of a like, you know, slap on the face. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I got kind of a bit of upset, yeah. you know, because he was actually English, 
Yes. And then I thought, well, he's actually right. And then I had to start finding those things that I enjoyed, like living in Sydney. Yeah. And and one of the things I have to say was Australian Chamber Orchestra. Oh. And, you know, I felt that that was kind of me, like one of these things that I really loved. And uh, first it was actually, you know, just Opera House and Sydney Symphony and just, you know, being part of the kind of the cultural scene. And, and then, but ACO was something that I really fell in love and, and, and I felt that this is my thing. Mm. And um, that's why, I, you know, so you you played a big part in my, me. Oh, <laughs> well, good. And I happen to be a Finn too. Well, I think for, it's interesting what you say about the comparing it to Europe. The thing what I did love about Australia was the fact how uh, Asian it is also in many ways. Yes. And that yes. that is for me, having grown up, spent my childhood in Japan, I thought that Australia was the sort of perfect hybrid between the two because, hmm. but frankly, I mean, this sounds like a, such a small, small thing, but actually it's not. But just to get such excellent Asian food in one yes. city where you get every different Asian cuisine is some, um, yeah, all my Asian girlfriends always, always say I'm the honorary Asian girl uh, because, yes. because it, it really means a lot to me. It makes me feel home. Yes. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the nicest things in Australia is the food. Yes. Uh, honestly, food is so amazing, and it's, it, it's exactly what you say. If you want good Japanese food, you will get it here, yeah. like really easily. You know, it's very good quality. So I totally agree with you. Now, if you then think about yourself, uh, you know, settling to Australia, and um, you know your first impressions, and and how you kind of, uh, well, did you feel straight away home here? what I did strangely I did because the central Europe is I like I said earlier it's quite a it's quite a rough place and I just and, and you also have to keep your own because living in Germany you know you feel like you're always fighting against authorities uh you go to you go to a bank usually the answer is no you go to somewhere it's no especially when you're a young foreign person to be mm. honest, you know, and, and it's different when you are older, more established. But if, if, if you are a young music student, usually the answer everywhere is no to you. Mm. And you have to sort of, you know, learn to fight. And I remember the first time when I opened a bank account in Australia and I went with my German, you know, like this is how you have to deal with these things. You go there and march in and say, I want to open a bank account, please. And I was expecting her to say, now oh, you have to show this and this and this. And no, instead she said, no worries. And I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> like you accept me straight away? I don't have to show you 15, you know, uh, written declarations and stamped letters and things. No, it was like everything felt 
quite easy. It was a bit of a culture shock and the friendliness of people was really a bit of a culture shock in a positive yes. way that people were so friendly. I, yes. I have to say though, Sydney has changed a lot since then. It's become a lot more intense and, 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 um, and not as friendly as it perhaps was back then. But, but, but still I do find Australian people are generally very friendly people and, and, and that's a nice thing. Mm, yeah, agree. And then you kind of settled into ACO and you became a team member. So what kind of group is ACO? So we are a very collegial group that has a very clear, we, we are only a group of 17 musicians. So it's a, it's a not too small, not too big. So it's small enough that we all can be friends and know each other and be close enough with each other, but not too close so that it becomes um, restrictive or annoying. So we we are a group that travels usually before these times. So we do touring around Australia continuously on our national tours and also around the world, as in Europe and Japan and the US, and play the, and play the big concert halls of the world. And it's a group that is, you know, we are so-called of the traditional classical Western music chamber orchestra, but we also do a lot of other other kind of things that is very much bending the rules. And that's a gift to be in Australia in that sense because we have a very open-minded audience like yourself. But also uh, what is to me such great joy and it gives me great joy and great pride to be in the ACO playing in Vienna, uh, Viennese composers such as Haydn or Mozart, and, and there we are in Vienna playing it to the Viennese audiences and, and they they are absolutely, you know, dumbfounded by the quality of it. And that is what's great about the modern world that, you know, would have those composers thought that, you know, there's a there's going to be this group in the other side of the world playing them playing their music and bringing it to their own own country, you know, into their own town, as in, in Vienna, for example, to, and to be doing it on such high level is is very, very exciting. Mm. ACO is really unique in so many ways. And I, as, as you say, I think it's that you are quite controversial in many ways. You definitely break the rules and you do so many different types of things which are very unusual and you're quite – you do challenge the audience. I mean, you do mm. very, uh, you know, traditional things and then you do something totally different, which is sometimes quite challenging for the audience. But I think that's the whole richness of being ACO. Now, you have you have kind of many roles in mm. ACO in a way that you, you're not just the leading violinist, but, you know, you have other roles as well. Yeah, so I'm so my my role as a principal violinist. So my my role is to, as well as playing in the orchestra, I also uh, I also lead the orchestra, play solos with the orchestra, take um, leading jobs that I need to also do for it, and 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 also I run and so do this thing called ACO Underground, which is our sort of electroacoustic sort of spin off group, where I'm also the vocalist and and also the violinist and so we're sort of cooking up new things all the time so 
I, I do like to mix it up. It's a, it's a good thing. And it's, I think it's very important to, as a musician, to be, to be doing different things, um, whether it's, so it's not just, you know, I'm going to just play the violin and in this way and do just this. Um, I think the whole orchestra and the whole environment, the culture within the organization that is the ACO is very supportive of us all to reach out and, 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 and develop our talents in different areas that we may have. And that's very important because in order to develop your musicianship and your, your talent, you do have to take risks. You're not going to, you're not going to know if something's going to work or not until you try. And, mm. and then you sort of, you know, and, and you never know where you're going to end up with. And, and we certainly, I would have not known where things lead to when, when, when you start doing something new. Uh, for example, with my, you know, being a singer thing. I mean, had I known that I'd be suddenly singing in a big hall in the Barbican Centre in London, you know, I, I, I would have not believed people uh, if they had said it, but yet that's what sort of ended up happening. But it sort of all just grows organically rather than out of ambition or or sort of a empty, yeah, empty-minded ambition or I want to do this. No, it sort of all grows very organically with the with level of learning and and create being creative and putting things out there that people you know like to buy tickets to and and that's what's really exciting because it's really you know you feel like it's the art form is alive mm. how did the singing came about so it came about when richard uh, who is the artistic director and also my husband he was writing some music and he was saying hey could you come and sing something? Because he said, my voice is so awful. So can you come and sing something for the a line, for just for a recording quickly? I just need something. And he said, well, you've got a nice voice. Why don't you sing more often? And, and then it just came for there. So it came out of sort of like a necessity because they needed a voice and I was maybe silly enough to say yes. And and also for the ACO, frankly, you know, it's it's cheap for them. They get a violinist and a singer in one. <laughs> so it's very economical. That's very, it's isn't it? It's very sort of Nordic to be sort of thinking economically, isn't it, Satu? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> However, you're very modest because the Guardian UK said Vanska should consider a career as a singer if she ever gives up the violin. Well, so. that's a very nicely <laughs> said, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic to have uh, lots of different talents. Now, still going back to your role in ACO and you, you have to show a lot of, leadership and being a leader Mm. so Mm. what do you think what things are for you what makes you a good leader or what are the important things within you that you think you have to have to be a good leader I think you and I think also as a a woman I mean not that I I'm in a very woman women friendly business in general but I often think about it that women lead maybe differently than men but I think and we all are sort of taken by our own personalities in that too. But I often like to take the sort of diplomatic view until I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody told me a long time ago, which is a really important thing to remember, that when things go well, it's always thanks to everybody else. And when things go bad, it's all your fault. Mm. So, and, and that's very much true, I think, um, as a leader to remember that that, you know, ultimately the responsibility is yours 
but you always have to try to bring out the best in other people and help others to to be their best but also mm. what um the way for what, what i've learned is that it's really important to listen to people and also get into issues very early on if there if there are any and and also people are di- different you treat different people differently mm. you know you cater differently to different personalities and and that's really important to remember mm. in order to get best out of people you can't treat everyone with the same same way some people some people you know like the style of you know, they want to be friends some people just like to be told directly some people you know it's it's very it's it's very different mm. on how people are but but leading it's a sort of a balance of making people feel confident and good about themselves but at the same time also making them reminded that we are also though employees of something and i of course have to remember it also because there's you know people above me that i have to answer to and that sort of personal responsibility is a very important mm. part and can be quite challenging these days you know sort of the because things that some pe- some generations consider uh, just you know a ingrained way of thinking of personal responsibility some other people don't see it that way and it's actually it can be challenging to navigate those and and sort of negotiate with people having said that but being a musician someone who goes on stage all the time the stage is a great equalizer mm, because yeah. going on stage it's like uh that you can't hide anywhere so everyone in the orchestra are at the top of their game you can't get on stage unless you know you can't be be uh, pretending that you this or that on on stage you 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 surviving every time you you get on stage because it's a scary place to go to you know and so so and that is where as a leader you have to show a lot of understanding for people yes. so that they they you don't scare people so that they are not able to perform because that would be horrible that's that's a terrible mm. thing do you still get nervous to be on stage Absolutely. We get nervous. Look, we get nervous about not being nervous. You know? <laughs> like the, the 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 idea of living with the nerves is is such a the sort of anxiety is such a sort of everyday feeling in our lives that uh, as a musician, anyone who gets on stage, I believe, um or I most people I know who are that it's a sort of um It's something that you just learn to live with and you learn ways of dealing with it and you learn the ways of um of knowing you know to separate yourself from your anxiety one anxiety doesn't put you into a mm. knot necessarily there are times when it does but but you can usually uh talk yourself out of it or you there's a lot of there's some there's a million uh exercises that a person can do and also having the experience i mean when you've you know when you are anxious on stage you you can tell yourself that look i've done it a few times before so <laughs> so you just have to trust but it's an it's a it's yes. a constant you you are very aware of your concentration and your mind and your levels of uh le- levels of concentration and where you're putting your mind like you on the day of a concert you do have to think uh when you're going to eat what you're going to do so you're not you know you're doing things that 
that are optim- optimizing the situation that you can get on stage. Mm. Mm. It's like a, being a, in a way, like athlete or something like that. That you have to have, Absolutely. you know, physical and and, me- and mental exactly. state of mind. Exactly. Yeah. If we go back to you being a Finnish person and your yes. Nordicness, so what do you think? What features in your in your Nordic character, Finnish character, you know, have been assisting you in your journey? I would say that the slight sort of diplomacy is very much that's you know a Finnish thing, <laughs> and I don't think that it's only because we we are afraid of uh, confrontation. I'm not anymore so afraid of confrontation, but there is a diplomacy is very important. Uh, general cleanliness. My, I learned from my grandmother long time ago that you have to clean the skirting boards. There's no cleaning unless you clean the skirting boards. That's that's where the dust lies, and that's the sort of <laughs> that's the sort of thinking. And also, the kind of quite a sort of egalitarian outlook towards people. Like I said earlier, I'm in a very sort of female-dominated business. The music mm. world is, you know, we've lots of women in a very in a in a great positions and other minorities too. But we actually in in Finland, and I'm I'm not sure if you have the same thing that that we actually don't even think about it anymore in a way in Finland that, oh, I'm a woman and I'm a, well, we have a prime minister who's a woman. I think everyone, in every minister is a woman in Finland now. So that is something I suppose that we, 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 we're in a very different place to Australia in that sense, no. you know, in a, in a, and, it, and it really does um, affect yes. your mindset, yes. how you, how you look at, you know, for example, structural things in an organization or how you look at, because you yes. not take it for granted, but you're much more able to, we've gotten over it already of this sort of the female male dominance. It's not such a thing. So we can sort of relax and be friends with all kinds of people. Yes. When you think about Finnishness, what do you think, what are the things that are like different in in being a Finn and being a uh, you know or Australian or, or Europeans, or are there something generic things that you think that we are very different? I think there's a lot of stereotypes, but um, <laughs> but one thing comes to mind now when the coronavirus came. I'm sure you heard about this uh, when the coronavirus hit in you know a year and a some half ago, and in Finland when they introduced the two meter rule or one point five meter rule. The Finnish reaction was, "Oh gosh, do we have to get so close to people?" <laughs> and that is, and that's very Finnish. So we, I am a Finn in that sense that yes, I am a good loner. Also, yeah. <laughs> like many Finns are, we're good yeah. in our own company, yes. and that is that. That is, I don't know where that really comes from. It must be something that's, as you say, genetic, generic. Yes, and and it can be a good thing, but then. And I'm I'm very happy that I grew up in a culture in Japan where uh, saying hello to your neighbors and all that kind of thing was a normal thing also because you learned the social politeness and all, which is then sometimes in Finland, uh, <laughs> it can be a bit irritating for foreigners who go and people don't. And it can be, yes. and I have to say that sometimes what upsets me, I don't want to speak badly of Finland, but 
what upsets me about it sometimes is that it does come across as a lack of curiosity towards the others, you know, when you don't ask how they are, how, you know, and, and a lack of caring mm-hmm. by not being able to show it, you know, to others. Yes. And, and by being so knotted by your own shyness, it's, it's not an excuse. You have to get over it and, 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 and ask people and your friends how they are. Yeah, I agree with you, but I think also it's changing. I think more younger generation is more open today and more kind of outgoing. And I think so too. You know when it, how it used to be, but uh, you know, there's still certain shyness, and in, you know people are quite introvert yeah. in many ways. So I do agree with that. Now, you know when you think about your life, looking back your yeah. life, and you must have had like so many amazing experiences you met amazing people and and you really pushed yourself hard to to in many ways to be who you are today Mm -hmm. what are some of the transformational experiences that you think that you have had and and what kind of mark they have left on you or how they changed you Mm. well it's a really good question and sometimes you know it's the things that happen to you you're so busy being in the middle of something that you don't actually think that, oh, that was the big milestone in my life. You sort of look back and you realize them only later on. You don't realize them when you're going through them. But I think that the changing with the different cultures were, they were big milestones for me always. The one where, when I was moving to this country or when I moved there, that was always the big, big milestone because it always also speaking a different language you sort of slightly adapt your personality also to suit the language that you're speaking, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I, there was a v- German version of me and now there's an Australian version of me. And so those are sort of, you know, but then of course it's all still me. The big milestones would have been uh, that really changed, you know, other than the sort of personal things, but, well, joining the ACO definitely was. And and sort of quite recently, you know, doing all this singing stuff was that was sort of felt like suddenly a milestone. But it all sort of happens. You know, you never finish a concert and think, wow, that was a great success. We never do that as musicians. We like we don't go like, wow, that was that was it. Like I won this prize now. That's usually when you win something or you finish a really big concert. So you already thinking about something else and and you're usually too busy thinking oh did I play that phrase right or did I how many notes did I miss or you know that's more the sort of reality of it um and when you look back yeah moving to Australia was a big milestone and you've really caught me there with you know meeting some interesting people yeah I definitely have met many many interesting people but um one thing that comes to mind is I, I did a few years back, I did this show with Barry Humphreys at the Barbican Centre I told you about. It was called the Weimar Cabaret with um, uh, Barry Humphreys where he went through the story of the music from the uh, Weimar era as in the 20s and early th- 30s, so the music of Berlin before uh, the Nazis took over. And a lot of these composers were Jewish who were then taken. And, and this is such an amazing, there's a lot, you know, it's all this Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weil and, and these great composers. And Barry's a great fan of, fan of these, these composers. And, um, I led the orchestra in London and, and 
mm. played and sang and did all this, these shows with him there. And the idea of, because when I originally moved to Australia in 2004, I thought that Australia would be a bit like Weimar, Germany. It's this exciting place where anything goes and, and a bit like, you know, the 20s New York where, you know, not everything's been institutionalized yet. And then, you know, 15 years later, I, I end up doing this show off Weimar music with uh, one of the most iconic Australians. Yeah, that sort of, it's, it sort of feels, yeah, that, that felt quite special. Oh, sounds amazing. And so what is then success for you? What success? Oh, I think success is, is, you know, to be able to explore and do the things you're interested in. That's, that's real success, really, you know, and being able to live, make a living from it. That's, that's what I see as success. It's a, it mm. can be such a shallow word, but I also see success as something that is a longevity uh, so that you can do something for a long period of time and develop, keeping developing yourself and, and learning as you go and being able to uh, pl- play this music and being able to learn from it and become a better musician and that people still want to hear you play or sing or whatever that is that that to me is a success because what's very sad is that people who peak often people who peak very young you know it's sad because it's 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 a shame if you've been at your best when you were 15 you know or if you were in your 20s and you've peaked in your 20s what are you going to do for the rest of your life what I sort of try to look at is is to have sort of a longevity where you are learning learning and developing as a human being and as a, as a musician. And, and that is ultimately the slow gratification that comes out of that is something that success that you feel inside your, you know, inside your soul or heart or whatever we, we call that's inside us in our gut um, rather than sort of uh, the sort of single-minded um, mm. ambition. But I am very lucky that I'm a person who's a performer and I have people, you know, people clap when we get on stage and they clap when we get off on stage and we never take that for granted, you know. It's every time you have to, every time you have to do do it again, you know. It's not like because yesterday I did, did it, today I have to, you know, I can just do it half-heartedly. Mm. No, every time you have to put yourself fully into it. And, and I don't think that there's any other way for being of any kind of you know successful person unless you put absolutely 120 percent into it so you always have to slightly over over deliver (laughs) Mm. well what happens with the if you have a big challenge or if you feel maybe that you failed what about if people don't clap no well people yeah so the good thing about also being a musician is that you've learned to deal with failures in a very early age. So uh, it's tragic, you know, when you've had a total, and everyone has those, you know, you've had a total flop when you were, in, especially in your teens. It's, it's, it's completely devastating. And it's a sort of feeling that a lot of normal 
teenagers who go through their lives. I mean, they have, of course, their other sort of things that even if, you know, normal teenagers, they have other sort of um, probably other kind of uh, disappointments in life. But the disappointment of learning that even if you've, you've worked so hard, you've practiced hours and hours and still you do something, you know, it goes totally wrong. And it is really demoralizing, but you just pick yourself up and do it again and you learn and you do it again and you do it again and that's where you get that kind of resilience and you learn that it's not we are not a measure of one performance uh we are a measure of all the performances that we've done over our lives mm. and obviously when you are in a professional level of you know myself or someone else you you're always on you know you're consistently <laughs> on on that that some level even if you yourself are not always you know happy with yourself or so so that means that's why we're professionals mm, that's mm. beautifully said mm. who or what inspires you mm. uh well i feel um well music itself i listen to a lot of music i i there's a lot of inspirations in life in general i mean the ocean uh the nature uh literature i think the sort of the feeling of being part of something greater than yourself and the feeling that you're part of a canon of something that's been going on for longer than my lifetime and that will continue for longer than my lifetime that is a inspiring feeling and especially you know i have a i'm very fortunate to be playing on an instrument it's a antonio stradivarius instrument um, owned by the chairman of the ACO from 17, and it was made in 1726. And and to think that this violin has been in this world for, you know, 300 years and, um, yeah, how many lives it has gone through and I'm just one of the lucky people who gets to play it and the violin will outlive myself too. That's something that, puts things into perspective and and it's very inspiring to know that there are these beautiful and excellent objects in this place called a violin that was made so long ago and these people were amazing who made them then and I'm able to, you know, play it now and the violin keeps on being it's it's still a great violin and and in fact it's probably at its peak right now and getting better in the next hundred years. So it's just that is something that is extremely inspiring to have access to something like that. That is yeah, that is amazing and must be amazing experience exactly that you can you can kind of somebody gave it to you and you can have it mm. for now and then you move on and yes exactly you know, it, it goes to someone else. Now, is there a, a a piece of music that is w- really special for you? If you would need to name all the music pieces in the world, that one thing, what would that be? We are doing the Nordic podcast, so I have to say that, of course, as a violinist, um, Jean Sibelius's violin concerto is, of course, you know, that is like you can't you can't ignore it uh, in this context, but. But yes, that that would be something that is something that's been with me all my life, and it was something that I dreamt of being able to play when I was a child. And then you, 
eventually played and 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 you played with a big orchestra and you played and and you sort of learn it and you go and uh, yeah and that that kind of thing does feel like an achievement you know when you've dreamt since a four-year-old that you can play this piece and then when you're 18 you can play it <laughs> it takes a while to get there but Amazing! I, I have to say, it make me it makes me cry every time. Oh, well, good! <laughs> and I just see, you know, Finnish lakes and all snow and fields, and you know, it yeah. kind of brings all the kind of your childhood uh, memories. So it's so beautiful. Now it's been absolutely amazing to talk to you. It's so exciting to learn more about you, and you are. So inspirational. Now, can you tell us what's next? Now we're living this challenging COVID times. Oh but God, yeah. So what's coming up? So we are. We have several tours, <laughs> concerts planned in Australia. Hopefully, once we get over this bump, we'll be back performing in um, August or September. And so we have a concert series called Music for Healing actually coming up. That's um, that's about music that is concentrating on all kinds of aspects of, you know, mental health and looking at it from a different perspectives, that how is music good for healing and for physical being. And that's one of the ACO tours. We have also some projects coming up with the ACO Underground Um, we have our studio casts that we've been filming. That's um, our sort of uh, filmed concert experiences that are being released uh, regularly. I've got, um, yeah, a lot of things always coming up and, and, and in the plans and let's hope that we can now get move on soon from this lockdown and um, get back on stage Yes, that sounds amazing, and I'm, I'll put the your website in the speaker's notes so uh, people can go and have a look. There's so much going on. But thanks again. It's been absolutely delightful and look forward to listening to you and seeing you many, many, many performances to, to come. Thank you, Sato. Great to talk. Thank you. Bye. You check out ACO's upcoming performances live as well as studio cast. Go to aco.com.au. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate if you would leave a quick rating and review. You can also find Nordic Insights on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Boy Hyvin, Hadi Sopra, take care.